0: today. Let's pray together and then we'll jump in. Jesus, we love you and and this morning we just celebrate with all of heaven uh, that that Ashlyn made this decision. Uh, A personal decision that she made to trust and follow you, she went public today to say, Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my Savior, my life is in his hands. So we know that all of heaven is celebrating today um, because, Lord, your daughter came home. And so we are super pumped uh, for her and the decision that she made, super thankful that she had someone like Peyton in her life, Um, Lord, and her family as well to surround her and support her in this. So, God, we are celebrating this morning. And as we wrap up this series today, Jesus, as we talk about your spirit, the presence of God alive alive working within us. I, I pray that, that that we would not walk out of here just having sat through a church service, uh, Lord, but we would walk out of here understanding what it means to be changed and transformed by your spirit, Lord, that it is an ongoing process. Uh, But the second we invite your spirit into our lives, Lord, you begin to do work, uh, Lord, and we are no longer the same people we were before. So we want to have that encounter this morning, Lord. We want uh, to experience what it's like to live life in the spirit, to be a supernatural people and to be a supernatural church. Uh, So Jesus, we love you and we thank you for all that you give us. It's your name we pray. Everybody said. All right, so going all the way back, um, a, a few weeks ago, months ago, we did a series called House on Fire, which is about marriage and parenting and family. Uh, what we realized kind of in that series is, is that we've, we've been unpacking, right, since, you know, like two months, we've been unpacking the fact that there is this very real spiritual battle that, that's happening, right, and what's at stake in this battle is really the hearts and souls of all of humanity. Like that's what's on the line, right? And as as believers in Jesus, what we read in in our House on Fire series and what we've been talking about the last four weeks as we've been talking about the Holy Spirit and things that are supernatural, what we've learned is this, as believers in Jesus, we are equipped and we are commissioned to get in the fight. Right? We're commissioned, we're equipped to, to jump into this spiritual and supernatural battle for the hearts and souls of humanity. I said this a couple weeks ago. Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's not. It's not something that we just come and show up for an hour and sit in a seat and listen to somebody talk and sing a couple songs and then go home and have lunch and and fall asleep on the couch, right? That's not what it's all about. It's not about a one-hour fill-up, one-hour checkbox, went through the motions, did all the stuff I'm supposed to do, like, did all the, like, my moral obligations are complete. That's not what Christianity is. The truth of the matter is this. There is a life on this side of heaven that God desires for us to live. And there's an enemy that wants to keep us from that. And so what we read in Matthew 28 is this thing that, that we call the Great Commission, right? If you've been around church for a while, you, you've heard us probably talk about the Great Commission. And, and that's a moment when Jesus gathers his friends and followers up on a mountaintop after he had, he had ra- like resurrected from the dead. And he tells them, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples, Teach people what it means to to follow me. Teach them how to do that. Baptize them, like we just saw, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I just need you to know this. Like Jesus said, do this of all nations. Baptize and make disciples of all nations, which means everyone on the planet. And sometimes I think we read that and go, well, that's like hyperbole, right? That's like coach speak, right? It's not. Jesus, it wasn't hyperbole. It wasn't coach speak. Jesus It it wasn't this like rah-rah moment, like get pumped up. It wasn't like a symbolic or a hopeful statement Like, Jesus is going, let's change the world, guys, like, knowing that that's really not what's going to happen. Like, Jesus meant every word of what he said. When he said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, so go make disciples of all nations. Teach them what it means to obey. Teach them what it means to follow me. Teach them what it means to live the with God life. He meant every word of that. And Jesus, when he gives us, shares with us his authority, He expects us to be active participants in this movement that he started, and he expects to win. And we know, because we read the end of the Bible, like, we know Jesus wins. Like, we know that Jesus wins. But but as we learned in this series and over the last few weeks, the church, and when I say church, I I mean both the big C church, like, the big C church is like the people in the church. It's not the buildings. It's not the, the, the locations. It's not the facilities. But it's the people, right? It's the family of believers in Jesus. That's the big C church. But then also... The little c church, which is the, the organizations, it's the, the literal places, the buildings, facility, churches down the street and around the world, both the big c church and the little c church, with, within both the family of believers and within the church, it's like these individual communities and organizations, there is a major spiritual and supernatural problem within the people and within the organization. And that problem is this we don't believe in the supernatural. That's a problem. It's a supernatural problem when you don't believe in the supernatural. And so the reality and the truth is this. It's hard to join in the spiritual and supernatural battle for the souls of humanity. And when I say that, because, you know, you read like the hearts and souls of humanity, and it's kind of this vague, faceless thing, right? When I say that, I'm talking about the person in your office has the cubicle next to you or the office next to you. Who you know they're going through a rough patch. You know that their marriage is falling apart. You know that they're living life daily unsatisfied because they're chasing after all the stuff that really is never gonna fill them up. You know this. It's the neighbor down the street. It's the neighbor down the street who's battling illness and things like that, right? It's the kid, if you're a student, it's the kid whose locker is next to yours. Maybe for some of us, it's like, it's maybe, maybe it's your own kid's you think about your own kids, Their heart. there's a battle going on for the hearts and souls of humanity. That includes maybe some of us. It's, it's our kids who have grown up and moved out, and they're trying to make it on their own, and you're just looking at them going, can I, can I just help you? Can I just help you out? It's hard to join in that battle for the hearts and souls of people like that that have names and faces and places in our lives when you don't believe in the spiritual supernatural. You, you, you can't get in it. And I've quoted A.W. Tozer a lot, but he says it like this. He says, Satan has opposed the doctrine of the spirit-filled life about as bitterly as any other doctrine there is. He's confused it. He's opposed it. He's surrounded it with false notions and fears, which is really why the church doesn't talk about it, because it, the supernatural and the spirit, spiritual and the Holy Spirit, it just seems kind of weird. So we get kind of confused by it. We're not quite sure what to do with it, and so we don't, we don't talk about it. Tozer goes on and says he's blocked every effort of the church to receive from God our divine inheritance and blood-bought adoption. And the result is this. The church has tragically neglected this liberating truth. The fact that there is, for the child of God, us, those who have trusted in Jesus, that Jesus has brought us into his family, right? We are co-heirs with Christ. For the child of God, there's a full and wonderful and completely satisfying life covered by the Holy Spirit. But we miss that. We miss that. And at Adventure, we call this the with God life. And so we've been using these triangles as kind of a visual way for us to understand the Trinity, right? The fact that that God is three persons, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And and it's not like this hierarchy. It's not like a a rank and order, like the Father gets the gold, the the Son gets the silver, and the Spirit gets the bronze. It's not like that. These are all God in three persons, all 100% God, all 100% powerful, all separate from one another, yet united in their desire and their will. The, the with God life, right, is found like this. The, the fact of the way that there is a, there's a way of living that God the Father desires for us to have. And because he has that desire, because he's God, he wills it, right? He wants this to happen. He's going to make sure everything that he wants to happen, that the opportunities are there for those things to happen. So there's a way of living that God desires for us to have, a life that's with him, in relationship with him. And that life is made possible by the justifying work of, of Jesus, his son. And when you think of justify, it's just as if I, right? It's kind of how we talk about it here, right? So it's, it's just as if we are covered in sin. But when we accept Jesus, it's just as if we're just like him, right? So Jesus justifies us. And then there's the Holy Spirit that brings this whole new life breathes this whole new life into us, a life that is free from your past shame, from your past regrets, from your present mistakes, and all of your future failures, right? This salvation, right, the with God life, right, there's an opportunity now for us to live every moment of our lives in partnership, in relationship with the very active and alive presence of God working in us and through us. This is the with God life. This is how it works, and the thing that's kind of blown my mind as we've unpacked the series together is I've realized that, that the same thing that the Father, Son, and the Spirit do in salvation, they create new life in us, it's the exact same thing they did in creation. When you think about this, you go back to like the creation of solar systems and universes and galaxies, right? The same will and desire of the Father, the work of the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit that brought form and function to, to things that were formless, things that had no form, things that were void, They brought life where there wasn't any life. Life to universes and galaxies, solar systems, oceans, mountain ranges. All of that in salvation focuses all of that same power on us. I mean, that's amazing to me. That same power gets focused on us. That same will and desire, that same work and that same power begins to create new life in us. And like the fancy church word for this is it's Trinitarian theology, like we believe in the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And it should blow our minds when you think that that same, that same power that spoke mountain ranges into existence says, now I want to create something new in you. It's amazing to me. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We said this, the goal of the gospel is not just to get you and I out of hell and into heaven, but really, right, in addition to that, it's to get the Holy Spirit and a piece of heaven into us. That's amazing that we as people are now the place where heaven and earth collide because the spirit is active and working in our lives. And so for the last few weeks we've we've kind of lived at at 30,000 feet, right? We've talked about the big picture about who and what the Holy Spirit is. We talked about what the Holy Spirit does. Last week Matt kind of started our initial like descent by talking about how we cultivate a real relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I love how simple Matt made it last week. He said it's this, it's it's growing and cultivating a strong relationship with the Holy Spirit is no different than growing and cultivating any relationship. It's the same thing. It requires the same thing. The relationship you have with your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers and classmates and teammates, it requires the same thing. It takes consistent time and work and trust and obedience and communication. Those kinds of things go into creating really strong relationships with people. Those same things are required when you want to cultivate and develop a strong relationship with the active and real presence of God, the Holy Spirit at work in you. So Matt kind of last week brought us down through the clouds, and so today we're on our final approach, or as we like to say here, we're going to land the plane, uh, and we're going to get real practical and really personal. You're like, dang it, you should have stopped at the first one. We're not, right? Sorry, just who we are. Um, When it comes to we're going to get personal when it comes to being a supernatural and a spiritual church. And I say that when I say church, again, I mean both, Big C Church and Little C Church. As a church, as a people, as a family of believers, we want to be a spiritual and supernatural church. We want to lean into that, not away from it. We want to lean into the Holy Spirit that's alive and working in our lives as people, and then as an organization, Adventure Church at thirty-three twenty-one Regal Parkway in J-town. We want to be a supernatural church. And here's the deal: without being and becoming supernatural people, that can't happen so that's what we're going to talk about today if you got your bibles or your bible apps with you you can open those up to galatians chapter 5 if you need a bible we have free bibles in the back at the little table next to those arrows you can take one home we'd love for you to have a bible Uh, so as you're flipping there galatians chapter 5 we're going to start in verse 1 and here's what verse 1 says i'm going to read it then i'm going to explain it right we're going to explain some context and then we're really going to dive into it okay so uh galatians chapter 5 verse 1 it says this for freedom Christ has set us free. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. Stand firm, therefore, and and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That's the first verse in the fifth chapter of this book that we call Galatians. Now, here's some context, right? That's, That's the start. Just press pause if you want to take notes, I'll just tell you if you're new to adventure, the way we take notes, because I talk really fast, is you just take a picture of the screen with your phone. It's easier that way, right? I promise you. So, so here's some context as it relates to, to this book, this thing called Galatians. And really what I want to give us this context is because it's going to help our hearts and heads like really wrap around what we're about to read. So what we know as the book of Galatians in the Bible was originally a letter that was written by a guy named Paul. Paul was a first century missionary, And church planner, So he went to places where Jesus wasn't really known and helped share the gospel, tell Jesus' story, and then plant churches, which, again, were communities of people. Not necessarily buildings, but communities of people just like this. So that's kind of what he would do. Share Jesus' story, help start a church, move on to the next place. In this case, like he is writing this letter to both the Big C and Little C Church. He's writing it to a church in a place called Galatia, right, specific. It's a group group of people, a family of believers that lived in this place called Galatia. And it was the Big C Church because it was written to people, not just an organization, but, but people in a specific church, in a specific place, dealing with specific issues and problems. Yes, people in the Bible dealt with the same kinds of issues and problems that we deal with, right? Bible people are just people people. Now, if you've ever spent any time reading Paul's letters that he wrote to different churches, you know Paul's a pretty direct person. Like, he doesn't pull a lot of punches. He gets right to the issues, right? He goes right to, to the things that people are dealing with. Paul is not afraid to step on people's toes when it comes to, like, the truth of what it means to live the with-God life and all the junk that can get in the way of that. But here's what i got to tell you. Galatians is, like, a whole different category. It is. It, it, it's, like, it's like if you read Galatians, you have to read it like it's written in all caps, Right? Like, Paul writes us letters in all caps. And you know what that's like? Like, if you ever gotten an email or a text message and it's in all caps, you can just hear, you, you can hear the other person yelling at you from the other side of whatever that communication is. Like, your hair even moves a little bit while you're reading. It's like, whoa. Right? It's kind of like that. Think of reading Galatians like it's written in all caps. And this is the issue, right? The issue that the church in Galatia was dealing with was that there were, there were a group of Jewish Christians people that grew up Jewish, that lived their life under Jewish laws, customs, and religious rules, but people that were Jewish but came to believe in Jesus, those Jewish Christians were telling the Gentile Christians, two types of people, two groups of people, the Jews and the Gentiles, Gentiles are people like us. We're not Jewish. We didn't grow up Jewish, right? So Gentiles are people that didn't grow up Jewish, didn't grow up with with Jewish customs and religious rules and, and things like that. So the Jewish Christians, believers in Jesus, we're telling the, the Gentile Christians, believers in Jesus, that in order to be a believer and follower of Jesus, in order to be a real Christian, you have to follow all of the Jewish Old Testament religious laws. And in the course of five chapters written in all caps, Paul shuts that whole thing down. And what we're about to read in Galatians 5 is kind of Paul's like closing argument. It's the mic drop moment. But, but here's the thing. The, the main hang-up between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians that that Paul is going to address and shut down had to do with circumcision. If you had that on your bingo card for the Sunday after Thanksgiving, you win. Going all the way back to the Old Testament, right, for the Jews, circumcision was this external marker of being in a covenant relationship with God. It signified that you were set apart by and for God. So you fast forward a few thousand years to this moment in in Galatians. The Jewish Christians are looking at the Gentile Christians, and they're essentially saying, can you really believe and follow Jesus? Can you really be a follower and believer of Jesus and not be circumcised? I mean, can you really do that? Are you really and truly following Jesus if you skip that step? I mean, they're, they're basically asking this. How can you really believe and follow Jesus without some sort of external mark to set you apart from everybody else? That's kind of the question that they're asking. Can you really be a follower of Jesus without something to show that you're really following him? This external mark, this religious ceremony, this religious symbol. Now, before you start throwing stones... Some of us do the same kind of thing now, right? Except it sounds like this. How can you follow Jesus without your WJIE Christian Radio bumper sticker on the back of your car? Are you really a follower of Jesus if you don't have that on the back of your car? Right? How can you follow Jesus without posting like perfectly curated pictures of your quiet time on Instagram? right? Hashtag blessed, too blessed to stress, right? Like, how can, you, how can you do that? Are you really following Jesus if you don't broadcast your quiet time to the world? How can you follow Jesus if you're not signed up for 25 different Bible studies and, and taking online theology classes? How can you follow Jesus if you're not doing that? I mean, are you, are you even a Christian if you don't have the Jesus fish eating the Darwin fish on the back of your vehicle? Because that's been so effective, Right. And winning evolutionists to Christ, it's like they're behind you in traffic. They're like, dang it. Now that I see that Jesus fish eating the Darwin fish, they're right, right? And they come up and knock on your window and go, hey, listen, will you just lead me to Christ right now? I saw the fish thing. Never happens, right? And that's funny, right? Like it, the, the reality is we're quirky. And, and, and the thing is it, it, can, it can be more personal than bumper stickers and, and social media posts. How about this? How can you be a Christian and vote for that person? How can you be a Christian and belong to that political party? How can you be a Christian and have this stance on on hot button issues like abortion or LGBTQ stuff, right? Like the Bible has a lot to say about those things. It does. And we've talked about them here. We're not afraid to talk about that stuff. But those are the kinds of questions we ask How can you be a Christian and do this? How can you be a Christian and do that? And again, the Bible has a lot to say on, on the issues and, and where we stand and, and how, as believers in Jesus, we stand in the things that we do when it comes to some of these things that we, that we tackle, right? some of these things we face. But the Bible also has a lot to say about how we treat people regardless of where they stand. And now you're starting to see why Paul wrote this in all caps. Because it was ridiculous to attach certain external markers as requirements to being and becoming a believer in Jesus. Like, you got to do this if you want to really follow Jesus. you got to look like this. you got to do this. you got to change this. Paul says, that's ridiculous. we got to shut that down. Let's dive back in. Let's read this again. He says this in verse 1, for, for freedom, Christ has set us free, which this is a Greek phrase. This was written in Greek, right? This was a Greek phrase that meant this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. He has done away with anything that has nothing to do with and has no bearing on on salvation, right? He's done away with it. You don't have to deal with this, right? And so the the, the reality is this. When you look at this, this salvation, you don't need to add anything to this. Like, nothing needs to be added to the desire and will of the Father, the justifying work of the Son, and and the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't need to add anything to this. There are no more steps. There's nothing needed when it comes to saving us. And so Jesus set us free. He did away with everything that has nothing to do with salvation. You strip all the garbage and the junk out of that, and what you're left with is what truly matters. That there's a God who doesn't just love you, but he likes you. There is a son who gave his life so that you can be in a relationship with his father and there is a spirit that lives in you and is making you more like Jesus. You don't need to add anything to that. Paul says this, he goes on, he says, stand firm therefore, which means don't settle for and, and don't submit, which means don't give into a yoke of slavery, which is forced and meaningless work based in religious rules. And that's what slavery is, it's forced labor. It's forced labor. It's meaningless labor. In this case, tied to the work of religion. And then Paul says this Look, I, I Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, that Christ will be no, of no advantage to you. Basically, this if you think what you do and the external religious markers will save you, then you don't need Jesus. Good luck. Paul says again, I testify to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. Basically, if that's what you want to base your life on, if you want to base your life on external markers and religious rules, then you better do all of it and don't fail. Do it all and never mess up. And then Paul uses some very intentional languages. You are severed from Christ who would be justified by the law. You've fallen away from grace. And again, this is where I say Paul gets personal. Basically why he's saying this. While you're cutting things off, a life of of empty rituals and religious external markers, while you're cutting things off, you might as well just go ahead and cut yourself off from the with God life that Jesus makes possible. While you're living this life of external markers and religious rules, you're cut off. Go ahead and cut yourself off from the with God life. And here's what Paul says for, for through the Spirit, which is internal and invisible, by faith, which is internal and invisible, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For, Christ, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. It, 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 whether it has or doesn't have anything, like whether this, there's this external mark, whether you have it or you don't have it, it doesn't matter. But only faith, Paul says, which is internal and invisible. Working through love, which is visible. This word that working through love, this phrase is the phrase that that we get energy, the word energy from. And it means this, when Paul says working its way through love or working through love, it means this, to be operative to be active, to be in motion, to put forth power. In other words, what Paul is saying is this. The only thing that matters is the way that we externally and visibly demonstrate the invisible and internal presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives through an active supernatural love for others. Ben Foote, who's a pastor out in Colorado, says it like this. External markers mean nothing if your spirit isn't changing and being changed by the Holy Spirit. It means nothing. The things you do on the outside mean nothing if you're not being changed on the inside. It's just behavior modification. You're crossing your fingers and hoping that the way you change your behavior on the outside will make its way to your heart, and it rarely does. Let's jump down to to verse 13. Here's what it says. It says, "For, For you were called to freedom, which means this, the with God life, a life with God, without religious rules, junk, and garbage. You're called to freedom, brothers. That's what he says. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul's quoting Jesus. He quotes Jesus. He says, listen, you can sum this whole thing up in kind of one phrase. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. But, Paul says, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Basically, if you start biting and fighting, eventually you'll just consume each other. So in prepping for this series, I, I, did, I did a lot of study, read a lot of books. None of them had pictures, which is different for me, Right. There was a lot of research done by the Barna Institute, right? The Barna Institute is is a group. They do research and stats and surveys related to, like, church and faith and Christianity, things like that. In the same study that we talked about at the beginning of the series that that, that revealed that 67% of Christians do not believe the Holy Spirit is real, 67, over two-thirds, right, over two-thirds of Christians that they surveyed do not believe that the Holy Spirit is real, but the Holy Spirit is really just kind of this symbol and reminder of God's power, right? That, that same survey, that same survey went on to kind of discuss the rising numbers of people who are leaving the church never to return. And this is pretty harsh. I kind of read, I read this kind of like this, like, you know, like, it just, was, it was harsh. It was hard truth. To to swallow, but it's data, right? Here's what it says. In in the mid-90s, in the U.S., 90% of the population in the United States in the mid-90s claimed Christianity as their faith or religion. Today, in 2023, that number is only 63%, which is a drop of nearly 30% in 30 years, right? Roughly 1% a year, which is a lot when you think about it's the population of the U.S., That's a lot of people leaving churches never to return. In 2021, the average church in the US had a weekly attendance of 180 people. In 2023, that number has dropped to just 66. Just in this year alone, the people that they surveyed, nearly 30% of the people who stepped away from being in and belonging to a family or community of believers, they left the church. And the reason why was the poor behavior and lack of integrity of the believers in the church. One person that was cited in the survey said this, it's nearly impossible to tell the difference in the behavior of Christians and non-Christians. Can't tell them apart. There's no difference for the people that are following Jesus and the people that are not. I heard one pastor say it like this, people aren't giving up on Jesus because of what Christians believe, they're giving up on Jesus because of how Christians behave. C.S. Lewis a long time ago said this in a book called Severe Mercy. He said the best argument for Christianity is Christians. Their joy, their their certainty, their completeness. But the flip side, he says this, the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians. When they're somber and joyless, when they are self-righteous and smug in their complacent consecration, which means this, you just go through the motions, and going through the motions make you think and act like you're better than everybody. When they're narrow and repressive, get this, he says this, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. Can you see the connection now? Like as we, and when I say we, I'm talking about you and me personally. I'm not, I'm not pointing my finger at you, right? I, you and me both. Me too. You can see the connection. We, all of us, myself included, have let go of the spiritual and the supernatural, and we've shifted our efforts to earning holiness. We've shifted our efforts to to claiming and and retaining these external markers that make people believe that we're righteous. We've shifted our actions, and we've also based our judgment, right, of other people's holiness on external markers and actions. We've looked at the outside of their lives, and we've made judgment calls based on how they look and what they do and what they say and how they behave. And the end result is this. As, a, as the church, we are failing. Churches have become centers of spiritual entertainment. You show up to, to get a good show. that You show up to, to get feel-good vibes. And, and hopefully you, have to get, you get in your car when it's done without having to really think about or change anything about your life. Because all you hear from stage is permission and agreement with the way that you live. And you can run your own life. And that's what we hope for. We hope to show up and they play good songs. We hope to show up and we get good vibes. And we hope to be able to drive away going, I don't really have to think about anything that just happened in there. I don't have to change anything about my life. I'm good. You can't convince me that that the recent decline in, in the belief of the, in the power of the spiritual and supernatural in the church, right? That that decline in the church's teaching and embracing of the spiritual and supernatural and, and the record numbers of people leaving the church are not completely, totally related. You can't convince me that those two things are not connected because they are. I mean, if you look at the rates of decline on a graph, they line up almost perfectly, we stop talking about the Holy Spirit. We stop talking about the supernatural. We stop talking about the gospel. And instead we just put on shows that make you feel good. Right? You can look at the moment that that started, the decline in that, and the decline in church growth, and they line up almost perfectly. So we go back to what Paul said in Galatians. What we've done is we've taken our freedom. The freedom we have in Christ, the freedom from religious junk and garbage, the freedom to live a supernatural life, we've taken that freedom. And instead of using that to love others like we have nothing to lose, we've used it to bite and consume one another. And here's the deal. You're getting the results that come from that. We talked about that in our our House on Fire series. Your life is set up perfectly right now to get the results you're currently getting. How's that working out for you? But here's the good news, right? Both as a people and as a church, it doesn't have to stay this way. Things can change. We can change. There's still time. Here's what Paul says in verse 16. He says, But I say, walk by, which means live by, the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. That's that supernatural and spiritual struggle. The struggle and the battle between the spiritual and the physical, between the spirit, the supernatural, and the flesh, it's real. It's not fake. It's not a symbol. It's real. Paul says that the desires of the spirit against the desires of the flesh, for they're opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Literally, to keep you from chasing your impulses. To keep you from chasing your natural impulses. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, goes to war with the spiritual and supernatural things that want to convince you to chase after them. But Paul says this, but you're led by the Spirit. You're not under the law. And again, I love what Ben Foote has to say about verse 18. He says, we don't live our lives to earn Jesus' grace. We live our lives in celebration of and from Jesus' grace. Life is lived as a celebration of the fact that we are saved by grace. Church, the supernatural life isn't a life of doing to earn grace and mercy. It's a new way of being because of grace and mercy. And to wrap this, this letter up and to wrap this series up, right, we're going to look at what Paul does next. He puts two lists right next to one another. And we say this a lot at Adventure. We say that you got, you got two deals on the table. Like there's two ways you can live your life. You have a choice. You have a choice. You can choose. You can choose to run your own life. To be in charge of your own life, to be the God of your own life, you can look at God and say, listen, I know that you created all of this and life was your idea, but I think I can do it better than you. You can do that. That's a choice you can make. Or, like we just saw Ashlyn do, like you can say, listen, I'm going to make Jesus. I want to put Jesus in charge of my life. I want to trust and follow him. I want his spirit to live within me, to go to work on me. I mean, those, are, those are the two deals on the table. And Paul kind of does the same thing. He puts these two lists on the table. One is a natural list, it is natural. It's natural for humanity, it's natural for us. The other is a supernatural list. Check out what it says, starting in verse 19. It says, Now the works of the flesh, the natural works, are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I like that he just puts that, and also things like this right after orgies, right? I warn you, Paul says, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now here's the deal. It hit me this week as I was reading through this. There is not a single person, myself included, in this place or watching online right now who is not included on this list. This, this hits all of us. I heard one pastor say, it, it's easy to pick out the stuff on this list that we don't struggle with so that we can pick on the people that do. But here's the deal. When you start reading this list, nobody is off the hook. Right? Thursday was Thanksgiving, maybe some of you are continuing to do Thanksgivings through the weekend. I'm betting just on your Thanksgiving dinner and meal with your family that you hit a few of these. Right? Maybe not orgies, that would be awkward, but, but strife and enmity, right? being opposed to and hating someone. I just went past that real fast. Right? Strife and enmity, right? which enmity means this, being opposed to or hating someone jealousy, fits of anger, and rivalries. Yesterday was like some of the rivalry games across the country, right? How much did you hate that other team? Drunkenness and envy and divisions. It's like, that's the only way I can make it through Thanksgiving. I mean, some of us, we hit all these during the appetizer. We got to the main course, right? And The fits of anger, the jealousy, the envy, And that was us, the the conversation with the the relative across the the table that goes, how about we talk about politics? And you're like, oh, my gosh, right? It's a good thing we overcooked these rolls because they're hard as rocks. I'm going to throw one at you, right? It's like (laughs) the point here is this. If we are left to do what comes natural for us, it will reveal our sinful and broken nature. That's what we inherited. We inherited a curse. It's where insecurity comes from. It's where depression and anxiety come from. It's where envy comes from. It's where jealousy comes from. It's where that that, that ache and that need, if I just had this, maybe I'd be satisfied, and we chase and we chase and we chase. If we're left to do what comes natural for us, it will reveal our sinful and our broken nature. You and I, we don't have to think about sinning because it just comes naturally to us. We naturally look for and expect to find the things that only God can can provide, from people, from relationships, from in a bottle, in success, in wealth. The things that only God can provide, we want instant gratification. And here's what we find when we look for the things that only God can provide in those kind of places, we search for instant gratification, but what we find is empty satisfaction. It might last for a little bit, but the buzz wears off. The new car isn't new anymore. The, the paychecks don't 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 add up like they're supposed to anymore this is our nature this is what comes natural which means this to live how God desires for us to live we cannot do that without his supernatural spirit at work within us because without the supernatural the only thing that's left is what comes natural now let me just say this before we wrap up right paul isn't saying that you and I cannot or that we won't ever struggle with the things on this list. What Paul is doing is he's making it really, really clear how the supernatural and the spiritual battle play out in our lives. It's a real battle. The church, as, as individuals and as, as an organization, we have to wake up and fight. Because Jesus commissions us to do it, and Jesus gives us everything we need to win. But it's deeply personal. What Paul is saying, though, is that you and I, we we, we can't willingly and actively and intentionally choose to pursue and chase after the things on that list and also at the same time expect to experience the freedom of the with God life. He says you can't chase after these things and expect to find the same kind of satisfaction and freedom and peace and joy that you find when you pursue the things of the Spirit. You can't do that. But why? Because sin leads to slavery every time. Every time. And then he closes out this, this chapter. He says this, but here's the second list. Here's the second option. Here's deal number two. But the fruit of the Spirit, and notice, it's not plural. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit, meaning this, that, that through the Spirit, it's not just one or some of these that are evident in our lives. It is all of them. This is The Spirit it doesn't just bring some of these. The Spirit begins to bring all of this in and through our lives. He says the fruit of the Spirit is this. love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, it's self-control. That's deal number two. Paul says against such things there is no law. Meaning this, the, the internal work of the Spirit eventually makes its way to the outside, externally in how we live. The internal, like I thought about this, like, The internal work of of an apple tree eventually makes its way out and forms apples, right? That's what it does. Like, apple trees don't bear oranges. They bear apples. And apples don't have to, like, think about bearing apples. They don't have to work really. It's like apple trees don't go, think apple, think apple, and then there's an apple, right? That's just what they do. They bear apples. The Holy Spirit bears this kind of fruit. That's just what he does. He doesn't have to think about bearing that kind of fruit. He doesn't have to, like, that's what he does. He works in us. The Holy Spirit bears this kind of fruit in church. Here's the deal. That's what we want to be known for. We want to be known for being a people and being a place and being an organization that that we're known for our love, our joy, our peace, our patience, our kindness, our goodness, our faithfulness, our gentleness, our self-control. That's what we want to be known for. In Acts chapter 2. Right, we're studying this in our men's group on Wednesday nights, like Acts chapter 2, when the when the Holy Spirit moves into the life of Jesus' followers and they preach and thousands of people are baptized in one day. What we learn is this it says that the, the, the church, the people that was made up of like fishermen and tax collectors and prostitutes and all kinds of brokenness, found favor with all the people. Why? Because this is how they lived. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That made its way to the fruit of the Spirit, made its way to the outside. And church, here's something important for us to know. How we live as believers is just as important as what we believe in. Because how you live is what people can see. And the Holy Spirit, what, here's what the Holy Spirit does. He makes those two things line up. Here's what I believe in. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit says, all right, I'm going to work on your life and make those things line up. That what you believe in your heart and in your soul will begin to line up with the way that you live. And then Paul, he finishes, he says, and to those who belong to Christ Jesus, they've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You've put it to death. That's not who you are anymore. And he says this, if we, are li- if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. The way way you live has to change as a result of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. I'm going to end with this story. This is about 15 years ago. I had the chance when I was in youth ministry to go out to a a youth ministry conference with a bunch of other youth pastors in San Diego, California. San Diego Zoo. If you know anything about the San Diego Zoo, it's like world-renowned. It's one of the best zoos on the planet. They had just opened the world's largest chimpanzee exhibit. Right? It was world-renowned, super famous. It was the very best exhibit, like chimpanzee exhibit on planet Earth. It's the, it was the, actually the largest ape exhibit on the planet. There was nothing else like it anywhere. And so we went, uh, a group of guys and I, we went to the zoo to, to look at this new exhibit that everybody was talking about. There's signs everywhere. So we had to go check. And it was awesome. I mean, it's super cool to, to see, like, all of these chimpanzees and, and, and all of these monkeys in this, in this, th- this exhibit. And, and it was, like, they looked, like, it was huge. It was massive. And they looked happy as much as they can look. I mean, they looked happy. But it, here's something that hit me. I, I saw one. One chimpanzee, there's all these other chimpanzees kind of jumping and playing and, and running around and doing all that kind of There was one that was just sitting over by the window and didn't move, just kind of looked out the window and watched people go by. And I thought about that as we drove back and drove back to, to the conference. I thought, like, that one chimpanzee, that's the one that's got it all figured out. That's the one chimpanzee that realizes as big as this, this thing is. As world-class as this exhibit is, as amazing as this exhibit is, it's just an illusion. It's an imitation of of our natural habitat. It's not the real natural habitat. It's it's just an imitation of that. These chimps, they understood, like they're in an enclosure that's meant to simulate the real thing, but at the end of the day, they're in a cage. And as I thought about how we're going to land the plane with this series, I realized this, the reason that we've spent the entire fall, and why we're going to even in our Christmas series, why we're going to talk about things that are spiritual and and supernatural, the spiritual and supernatural aspects of our lives, our marriages, our kids, our relationships, our holidays, here's what I realized, without the Holy Spirit, your life, my life, our lives will only ever be an illusion of the real thing. It may be world-class, you may have all kinds of resources, live in a big house, have all kinds of money, drive a nice car, go on nice vacations. It may look like a real life on the outside, but it's just an illusion. The reality is this, you still live in a cage. A cage of sin, a cage of emptiness, a cage cage of of anxiety, of, of insecurity, a cage of addiction. A cage of emptiness, a cage of the more I seem to get, the less satisfied I am. Just like those, those apes in that exhibit. It's just a simulation. It's just meant to look like the real thing, but it's not the real thing. And through the Holy Spirit, church, we have the opportunity to step out of the cage to be set free, set free from the laws of religious junk and garbage that wanna get in the way and get in between us and Jesus, things and people that would say, well, if you wanna follow Jesus, you have to do this. The only thing you need is to believe in the love of the Father, to believe in the work of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit, that is it. To trust and obey and lean into that Holy Spirit as he does work on your life. It's simple and yet so many of us settle for the caged life. So my challenge to you, my challenge to you is this, come out of the cage, stop the illusion, stop the the simulation, step into your natural habitat. I love that the scriptures say that that, that God set eternity in the hearts of people. That's who you are. You are citizens of heaven, co-heirs of Jesus, children of God. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Do you understand it all the time? No, neither do I. But trust him. I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna worship here in just a second. But if today you you wanna say yes to Jesus, I'd love to chat with you about what that looks like and how to do that. If today you need prayer, I'd love to pray with you. If today you wanna join our church, wanna become a part of this family, I'll, I'll meet you down front. We can talk about what that looks like. We make it really easy here. We don't wanna put anything in your way. We just want to get you in the same room with Jesus. So church, may we be a people that are not natural but supernatural,
1: that are not known by the fruit of the flesh but are known by the fruit of the Spirit.
0: May we be a church that is supernatural. May we be known for, not not necessarily our stances on, on, on hot button issues, this, that, or the other, but how we love people regardless of where they stand. Let's pray, Jesus. We love you. And today, Father, we are so grateful that we that we have your spirit that moves in us and begins to change us, begins to renovate our lives so that we look and live more like you. Jesus, you were magnetic. People were drawn to you. People from, from all kinds of walks of life, with all kinds of things that they were dealing with, they were drawn to you. And what they found in you was freedom. Freedom from sickness, freedom from sin freedom from a life they felt like they could never get out from under, freedom from from oppression, whatever it was, Father. You set them free. Father, today I pray that we may be set free in this room, that we can step out of the cage, stop living the the illusion, stop living the imitation, but find freedom in the life that chases after the Holy Spirit. Jesus, thanks for loving us. Thanks for sending your spirit to work in us, on us, and through us. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Stay in worship.